It has been my practice not to comment on current events. And I don't recall ever having spoken about a current event because, in my humble opinion, what we're dealing with is when we talk about current events, we talk about temporary solutions. And I believe that God gives us eternal solutions. And He does that to fix our souls. But because of the events over the last several weeks, I feel that I need to speak up because of certain things. What I'm going to say does not apply to those who have suffered loss, whether it be in New York or Orange County or in Texas. I'm going to follow my advice that I preached that said, when someone is in grief, you simply remain silent. And for those who are next to those people who are grieving, I suggest what I suggest in my sermon. You just simply be there. You simply comfort as best you can, but no statement, no neat Bible verses are going to, at this time, heal someone. Part of the reason I decided to do the book of Job is because I knew that in our lives, either in the past trying to recover from or in the future, we will experience tragedies. And to see wisdom and what God says through the book of Job, how to respond to that. But there are those in the news and elsewhere, because of what happened, will ask the question, where is God? The answer is God is where he's always been. He's on his throne. He's sovereign. He cares for his people. He loves them. He keeps them. He's a God of peace and comfort. He's a God of reconciliation. He's a God of forgiveness. And yes, a God of hope, even in the most hopeless situations. But I find it interesting when people ask, where is God? Because in our culture, whether it be in our government, we've uninvited God. Or in schools, we've uninvited God. Or in our business institution, we've uninvited God. And many of our churches, even, we've uninvited God. And in our own lives, oftentimes, we've uninvited God. And having uninvited God, I find it interesting when we ask, well, where is God? Well, God does respond because we didn't invite him. God is going to be God, period. But I feel I need to speak. He doesn't need me to defend him. And if he needed someone to defend, he would certainly pick a better advocate than me. But I need to say something because of this. Well, where is God? And then the next question, well, why does he permit evil? Well, let me suggest a few things. The scripture says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin is evil. Sin is the refusal to do what God has called us to do. So when we say, well, why does God not, not prevent evil? It's usually because, well, we want God to prevent evil up to where we are, but not us. Because if you will, if God was to eliminate evil, 
He get rid of all of us. Because our hearts, oftentimes, they're so wickedly evil. But again, that is not God does things. For instance, when he gave the promise to Abraham of the promised land, he didn't say he can have it now. He said the iniquity of those who were living there had not yet been completed. God is a God of justice. God is a God of fairness. And he said, I'm not going to give you the land yet because it's not fair to them because their iniquity hasn't. So sometimes God is waiting for the right time. But God has intervened. The first intervention is called the Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God has intervened because he has changed men's and women's hearts. It is amazing to me, not that there's evil, but there is not more evil based on the way the world is. And further, God is going to intervene again. It's called the second coming and judgment day. And he's going to prepare a new heaven and a new earth. God is going to intervene. So let God be God. And you be you. We need to understand that instead of running and asking questions, who is God or where is God? When evil happens, we need to run to him. And the problem is, yes, the events over the last couple of weeks have consumed the papers and the airways and whatever. But there are men and women and children every day being subject to evil. People murdered. People raped. People sold into sex trafficking. Children abducted so they might be slaves. There is evil everywhere. And because some things happen that gets a lot of news coverage, doesn't mean the world is fine when those things don't happen. There is evil. And instead of wanting where God is, we need to run to him. I was going to start my message in a little different way. So I'm going to start my message how I was going to start it when I finish it. And so if you'll turn to the book of Job, chapter 6. We're going to struggle with good and evil, bad, and things happening and not understanding. Now, again, in the context is Job has suffered the loss of his wealth. Job has suffered the loss of all of his children in one day. And then Job suffered the loss of his health. Now, this loss of health wasn't a diagnosis. Well, Job, you've got cancer, and in six months, you're going to die. He wasn't given some acute diagnosis to say, well, you have a heart problem. In one of these moments, you're just going to have a heart attack and drop dead. No, his is a chronic illness. He is in constant pain. And he's trying to find relief by being in ashes and scraping his skin with broken pottery. And if you haven't been in pain, well, everybody's been in pain. If you've been in pain for a little bit, you know how it's, you focus on the pain. But when it's constant pain, oftentimes it changes your view. 
It's difficult. It's hard because pain affects you. That's why when it comes to the church or others, when somebody is diagnosed with cancer or something, the church comes and rallies around them because it's quick. You either live or you die. Either God answers the prayer request or he doesn't. And we go on with our lives. But a person who has a chronic illness kind of interrupts our lives because we just want to do with our routine. And so that's where Job is. Job is in a chronic situation. He wasn't having pain and now he's out of pain. He's in pain even as his friends come to give him what they call good advice. And the rest of the, from last message on the book of Job is on a bunch of soliloquies. Job first cries out in pain saying, I don't understand and I wish I had never been born. And after speaking, Eliphaz then offers his advice. And as I shared, while he might have been technically correct, he was limited, and especially in the application. But Eliphaz does not get out of this unaffected. Towards the end of the book of Job, God is going to hold Eliphaz accountable. And he's going to say, Job needs to pray for your forgiveness. He doesn't even say, you need to pray for your forgiveness. He goes, Job needs to pray for you for your forgiveness. So when we shoot off our mouths, thinking we're giving great advice, God oftentimes, if it's not great advice, will hold us accountable. And so we're going to go back and forth. Job is going to say things, and then his friends are going to respond, and Job is going to respond to his friends until it comes a time when there's going to be a conversation, not between God, between Job and his friends, but between Job and God, and God and Job. So in chapter 6, starting with verse 1, it says this, Then Job answered, Oh, that my grief were actually weighed, and laid in the balance together with my calamity. For then it would be heavier than the sands of the seas. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. They're poison. They poison my spirit drinks. The terror of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild monkey, uh, monkey the, does the wild donkey bray over his grass? Or does the ox low over his fodder? Can something tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? My soul refuses to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. Oh, that my request might come to pass and that God would grant my longing. And so he's pouring out and he says, when you compare the calamity that I've suffered and my grief, they are so heavy. It would be like weighing the sands of the sea. And that's why we can't say, well, I know how you feel. Because Job was a righteous man. And he's been told that he's received all of this because he's not. He's going, well, wait a minute. I, I don't balance these things. It doesn't, it's, it doesn't seem right. And, and my life is such that, that existence is just boring. It's like, he says, it's like animals being excited about 
common food. They're not. And for those who are on diet and they eat egg whites, I don't understand why you do that. He says, they're tasteless. You need some salt. You need something to, he goes, and that's my life. It has no taste. It has no, I just, that, that God would grant my longings. And he goes, would that God were willing to crush me and that he would lose his hand and cut me off. He goes, he's gone from, I wish I never was to God kill me now. Just take me now. Fortunately, God does not grant all our requests. Because if God granted his request, he'd kill him now. The story would be over, and we wouldn't learn what God was doing or what Job would ultimately do, proving his faithfulness to God. As a matter of fact, not only does God God grant some of our requests, his spirit is within us, groaning with words too deep to conform to the will of God. So God himself helps us out when we go. We don't know how to pray. Job thinks he does. It's kill me, God. But that's not God's purpose and that's not God's plan. And God is going to pray for him. But he goes, but it is still my consolation. And I rejoice in unsurpassing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. He goes, I'm hurting. I wish I never was born. And I wish God would kill me. But I haven't spoken against him. And that still gives me joy. Can we say that? When we don't understand the pain that we're suffering, and we don't understand why, and unfortunately, sometimes the why is overrated. The why won't cause you to say, oh, that's cool. I still like, I like the pain. No, no, I don't want the pain, and it doesn't much matter why. But he's going, at least my consolation. The one good thing that's happening in all this mess is I haven't turned against the word of God. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should endure? Is my strength the strength of stones or is my flesh bronze? Is it that my help is not within me and that my deliverance is driven from me? He's saying, I'm not a man of stone. I used to, as a teenager, love this to play the, the Simon and Garfield song, I am a rock. You can't hurt me. I'm an island. I don't need you. He's saying, I'm not that. And in reality, none of us are. We're impacted by pain. We're impacted by despair. We're impacted by disappointment. And he goes, I'm, when you bruise me, I hurt. I'm not a stone. I'm not made of bronze. And that there's nothing inside of me that I can look for or to say, I'm going to get out of this. I'm not a physician who can heal thyself. I'm suffering pain and I don't know when it's going to end. For the despairing man, there should be kindness from his friends so that he does not forsake the fear of the Almighty. Now he's going to turn and he's talking about his pain and where he is. And now he's going to start talking to his friends and go, wait a minute, guys. You're supposed to be my friends. Friends are supposed to help encourage and support their friends. And what have you done? You've accused me of evil. You've accused me of sin. You've accused me of doing things against God. He goes, 
You should be those who do not forsake the fear of the Lord. My brothers have acted deceitfully like a wadi, like the torrents of a wadi which vanish. What she's saying is, a wadi is basically a dried up riverbed. Because there's no water there. You're, you're just a dried up waterbed. You don't give me any refreshing. You don't give me any comfort. You don't soothe me because you're just a bunch of dust. Which are turbid against the ice in which the snow melts. When they become waterless, they are silent. When it is hot, they vanish from their places. The path of their course wind along, wind along. They go up into nothing and perish. The caravans of Tima look, and the travelers of Sheba hope for them. And they were disappointed, for they had trusted, and they came there and were confounded. He's saying travelers through the desert are expecting certain water places and certain rivers. And when they get there, they're dry. They're disappointed because they now can't refresh themselves and their animals. He goes, and those, that's what you are, my friends. You've not comforted me. You've not refreshed me. Indeed, you have now become such. You see a chair and are afraid. In essence, he's saying, you're afraid when you see me that God's going to do to you what he did to me. So now your counsel is one of fear, not a one of comfort and support. Have I said, give me something? In essence, he's saying, I'm not one of those guys by the 405 with a sign saying, give me some money. Because I haven't asked you for anything. Or offer a bribe for me from your wealth? Or deliver me from the hand of the adversary? Or redeem me from the hands of the tyrant? He's going, I haven't asked anything from you other than to be my friend. I haven't asked you to give it up your wealth. I haven't asked you to go see somebody else to do something. I've just wanted you to comfort me, to be my friend. Teach me and I will be silent and show me how I have heard. I'm willing to listen. It's not that I'm refusing to hear the counsel of my friends, but make sure it's counsel like water, not dry sand. How painful are honest words. And that's true. A lot of times we're, we're reluctant to give honest words because we know how it will hurt. Or some of us delight in giving honest words because they do hurt. Depends on your personality. But there are times when, you know, I'm just saying. And so he's going, I'm willing to listen even when it's painful. But what does your arguments prove? Do you intend to reprove my word? When the words of one in despairing belong to the wind, he's saying, you can, you can countermand my words. And yeah, some of what I'm saying is because of my feelings. And you can argue with my feelings. Because sometimes feelings, most of the time, feelings aren't reality. So you can dispute how I feel. That's fine. But that's not solving the problem. You would even cast lots for orphans and barter over friends. Now he's really hit them. You guys are so 
unfriendly, that you would take stuff from an orphan. Please now look at and see if I lie to your face. It's going, look at me eye to eye. Notice if my eyes tilt up, which tells you that I'm lying or not. Looking you dead in the eye. Look at my face and let me, you tell me if I'm lying to you. Desist now. Let there be no injustice. Even desist, my righteousness is yet in it. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern calamity? I, words are cheap. I don't need words. But the words you've given me have been no help because I understand the pain that I'm in. And then he goes on. After rebuking his friends, he continues to say in, in, in chapter 7. Is not man forced to live on the earth? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand, man? As a slave who pants for the shade, and as a hired man who eagerly waits for his wages. He's gone. Life isn't that marvelous sometimes. It's hard. It's like being out in the heat and the sun. It's like having no control because your boss tells you what to do and when to do it. And you're, you're doing it for wages, but it's not payday yet. So I am allotted months of vanity, worthlessness, and nights of trouble are appointed me. When I die down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night continues, and I am continually tossing until dawn. I appreciate this verse. We were invited to, to go to the river. That's the Colorado River, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about. To spend some time with my sister-in-law and brother-in-law and their family. They had a boat. We got there late in the evening. And my son was a baby. And we got there. It was hot. At nighttime, it was hot. And we couldn't take that banana chase lounge and go by the water because that's where the uh, mosquitoes were. So you were stuck in the heat and you were praying for daylight. And then when daylight comes, it's hot and there's no relief. So you're praying for the nighttime because there's never any relief. And that's exactly how Job thinks. When I go to bed, I expect there'll be some relief there, but there isn't. And the nights are long, no relief. And when I get up in the daytime, there's no relief. My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to an end without hope. Those are some sad words. I am hurting and I see no way out. I don't even see, I've been praying for death and it doesn't come. I don't even hope in death anymore. Remember that my life is but a breath. 
my eye will not again see good. Now he's again assuming, as we lawyers like to say, he's assuming facts not in evidence. There is nothing that says he will never see a good again, but that's how he feels. And again, when we deal with those who are in the midst of tragedy and hurt, we need to understand how they feel, but it may not be reality. But because he just said, the days are long, I can't, but then he goes, well, life is but a breath. So he, even his feelings, he's inconsistent. My life, while I have it, doesn't seem to ever end, but life is short. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no longer. And your eyes will be on me, but I will not be. He goes, there will become a day when I'll die. Because that's what happens to all people. We all die. And when a cloud vanishes, it is gone. And so he who goes down to Sheol, the place of the dead, does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place be known any, to him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. Basically, he's going, this is it. I don't have an opportunity to complain and, and gripe and vent when I'm dead. So I'm going to do it now. And I'm just going to let it all out. I'm going to complain and I'm going to gripe and I'm going to speak. And I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. So he understands that he's hurting. He's not saying I'm giving you words of wisdom. I'm hurting and that's how my spirit is. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that you would set a guard over me? If I say my bed will, be, will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me by visions. He's talking to God and saying, when I go to bed, I think maybe I'll get some relief. But in my relief, I'm getting dreams that torment me. God, you're not even helping me when I try to rest. So that my soul would choose suffocation, death, rather than pain. He's saying, I would rather be suffocated, which is not a great way to die. I would rather suffocate than continue in this pain. So he's, in essence, reaching out to God, take me. I waste away. I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. That's a tragic statement. Because the only hope Job or any of us have is in God. We should never ask him to leave us alone, but to comfort us in times of grief. And then he's going to make a statement that others have. What is man that you magnify him and that you are concerned about him? That you examine him every morning and try him every moment. So wait a minute. Why are we that important? You're God, we're not. You have the angels, we're not. What's the big deal about us? Why do you try us? Why do you look upon us? Why do you judge? Why, why do you make us seem more significant than we are? Will you never turn your gaze away from me? Nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? Praise God, no. Have I sinned? What have I done to you? O oh, watcher of men, why have you set me as your target so that I am burdened, a burden to myself? He's going, okay, God, I don't know what I've done wrong. Tell me. 
My friends accuse me of unrighteousness. I don't see any unrighteousness in me. But because of according to their theology, and the one that many people have, I must have done something wrong. And you're against me. And you're against me so desperately that I don't get a moment of rest or sleep, and I'm without hope. So he's going, God, tell me, what did I do wrong? Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquities? Remember the days when I even sacrificed for my children, when I didn't knew they didn't do anything wrong. But just in case they did some unintentional thing, I sacrificed. He goes, I tried, I tried to do the whole religious and sacrifice and all that. And it doesn't seem, tell me what I did wrong. So that you might take away my iniquity. For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me, but I will not be. Job's wrong. Because there is a resurrection. And even if God were to leave Job in this current condition for the rest of his life, he still has the hope of the resurrection. This is not all that there is. God is a God of hope. Even when life seems nothing but heartache and pain and disappointment, he has given us his hope, his peace, his mercy. And it's called us his children. So I'm going to end my message how I was going to start it. I have said in previous messages that we should not exchange what we know about God for what we don't know about God. Let me add this. But prior to tragedy and heartache and pain, let us get to know God more and more and more and more so there's less doubt about what God is doing because we know him. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed against that day. I know who I've talked about. I know who I trust. I can trust him. I am convinced of it. I'm not hoping anymore. I just know it. We should run to God in heartache and pain and tragedy, not away from him. Instead of asking God why, we should say, God, comfort and change me and the world around us. And God, I pray for those evil people that you will judge them according to their evil deeds. And God, that you will have mercy on those who are innocent. But I trust you because you are the God. And I am not. And he later in his explanation to Job is going to go, where were you when I formed the heavens? So when we ask God, why God, why God? Possibly his answer is, where were you? Why should I consult you? Because God is ultimate wisdom and truth. And God knows what he's doing when he does it. And he will wait 
until he is ready to act. The scriptures seem to indicate that the reason he hasn't come yet is that not everybody who is his is his yet. So we need to then suffer in this world of pain and grief and, yes, evil, awaiting the time when those who are his are his. And that we pray that the world might be minimized in that evil and that pain. But just because something is not in the news doesn't mean that evil's not happening. So I want us, through this teaching of Job, to know him better. So that when heartache and pain and difficulty come, there's less to exchange. Because when I say, don't exchange that which you know about God for what you don't know about God. When you know a whole lot about God, there's less that you don't know. And the other final words, instead of asking, why God? We might be like children. When something that happens that scares us, they daddy hold. Just get in the arms of God and let him comfort you. Say, there, there, it's okay. Even though they may take your life. I got you. You have the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have hope in the next life. As Paul said, if this life only we had hope, we are to be of all men most pitied. Because when it comes to the world, they don't understand us. And a matter of fact, they're going to more and more persecute us because they've already disinvited God. They're going to start at disinviting us because we're his children. And instead of wondering why God, Jesus already said why. Don't be surprised. They hate me. Don't you think they'll hate you? The servant, the slave is not above his master. So instead, the response of persecution is not why. But to rejoice in saying, I have been counted worthy to suffer under the name of Jesus. Whether I suffer because of my faith or if I suffer because I'm just a human being. My God, the God of peace, a God of comfort, a God of reconciliation, a God of hope, a God of resurrection a God of mercy, a God that we, if we spend the rest of eternity, will not plumb the depths of who he is. I shared the other day, yesterday, as a matter of fact, I go, I don't consider myself a great theologian. Oftentimes I feel like when it comes to spiritual matters, I'm like in the shallow part of, of the pool. There doesn't seem many people in the deep there. As a matter of fact, it seems like a lot of people who claim to be spiritual just have a toe in the water. 
come in. As I try to move deeper and deeper into the deep end, I invite you to go and more and more to know God. Because when we know him more fully and more truly, it doesn't matter come what may. Friends, forsake me, so what? Come what may. A diagnosis of illness, so what? Come what may. You are ridiculed and persecuted, come what may. Because my relationship to my God is more important than all the other things. Now, before I close, I want you to understand something. That Job was pretty honest about his feelings. So much honest that much of, we can't quote much of what he says as being true. In the Bible, things are true, but not everything in the, true is in the Bible. What I'm saying is, When Satan said to God, if you remove your blessings from him, he'll curse you. That was a statement. That was true. But it wasn't true that he would curse. Job is pouring out his soul. And we might say, well, you know, that's not cool. He should be more spiritual. He should be really understanding. But if you turn in your scriptures, in your Bible, to 1 Peter chapter 5, starting with verse 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, God, that he might exalt you at the proper time, not necessarily tomorrow, casting all your anxiety on him. Not some of it, not part of it. You dump it. God, this is how I'm feeling. God, this is what's going on in my soul and in my mind and in my feelings. This is where I am, God. You cast your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Why do we sing this year the benediction song we do? Is it the best, most upbeat song? No, because I'm trying to get you to be convinced that God really does love you. He loves you when things are going well. He loves you when things are just going. And he loves you when things are going the S word. He loves you. He cares about you. So when things happen and you have that anxiety, instead of holding it in, you say, I'm going to throw it up on God because he cares about me. Because if I throw up on you, you'll go, he's not much of a pastor. Look what here, what he said. So I throw it up on God because he cares for me and he cares for you. And in case you think, well, that's just a one-off. Quickly, if you go to Psalms 55, verse 22 and 23. Cast your burden upon the Lord and he will sustain you. You don't need to carry the load yourself. Give it to God. There's a little thing of let God and let go. No. Just let God. God will carry it. 
You take his burdens, for they are light. You cast yours on him, and he will not get you just through it. He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. But then he says, but you, O God, will bring down to the pit of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit will not live out their lives, but I will trust in you. God will judge the evil. Trust him. God will do with those who act the way they act. You trust God. When you're anxious, cast your anxiety upon him. When you have burdens, cast your burdens upon him because he really does love you. And because he really does love you, it doesn't matter come what may. And all God's people said,